Welcome to Journey Towards, the podcast where we share migration stories and migration updates. We are both registered migration agents, Nick, who specializes in family visas, and myself, Evan, who specializes in employer-sponsored visas. Nick, we've got a migration update episode today. Can you please share with the listeners what we're going to cover? Yeah, sure. So the Australian Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, recently shared the federal budget with the Australian people ahead of the federal election, which is to be held on the 21st of May 2022. So the budget included several immigration-related announcements, which included the migration planning levels for the 2022-2023 financial year. So overall, the program will be increased to 160,000 places ahead of further expected increases in the 23-24 and 24-25 financial years as Australia continues to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. The program will be made up of 70% skilled and employer-sponsored visas, which is an increase of around 30,000 visas compared to the last financial year, with the remaining 30% made up of family visas, including partner, parent and child visas. So, Evan, can you give us a rundown firstly of the skilled and employer-sponsored visas? I'm thrilled because my baby in my business is employer-sponsored visas. And there's been an increase in those from 22,000 for this current financial year to be 30,000 next financial year. And I'm not surprised because employer-sponsored visas, the emphasis is always on the business, a taxpaying Australian business who has a need in the business and they need to sponsor a migrant into that position to fill a vacancy. We're always proving that there's no suitable Australian citizen or permanent resident for that role. So it can't be filled via local, but we do have someone that's a migrant that we want to sponsor them on a visa. So I'm not surprised by that. I have seen across all of the different skilled visas, so anything that's work-related, there has been a dip in about half for the global talent, um, a bit of an increase for distinguished talents, but there has been a significant hit for the business innovation and investment visas as well. I'm finding that there is a trend over the years that the skilled independent visas and the state and territory nominated visas, the regional visas, so we're talking general skilled migration, GSM, the 190 visa, the 189 and the 491. I find that over the years, those visas will dwindle off as we will see an increase in the global talent area and distinguished talent. But as I said, all visa types are gone up except for a few. So the general skilled migration visas, there has been an increase across those for the next financial year. And with those visas themselves, I'm finding that there's always going to be a push into certain sectors and there's going to be always a push into the regional areas. Australia wants to have migrants to build communities into different parts of Australia definitely gone are the days over the last few years of Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, those metro cities to be able to have a lot of migrants. Quite traditionally at the moment, it's very hard for IT professionals in metro Melbourne. But if you're in agricultural science, then that's fantastic. So it's very tricky for people to be able to get a visa on their own merit, which is that skilled migration where someone is in the absence of having an employer-sponsored visa but employer-sponsored visas are always going to be around in some way, shape, or form. So I'm not surprised in the increase there. There is a decrease in the business innovation investment visas to allow for these quotas to go up as well. Like I said, there's been a dip in the global talent, but the distinguished talent, the top of the top talent, those are the people we want to bring into Australia. We've seen an increase there from 200 this financial year to 300 places for next year. So quite interesting numbers, I guess, but I love these numbers and I love what I see. And like I said, I'm 
definitely enjoying where these numbers are going as well. Um, it's probably important to mention as well that because these numbers are here, so for the 70% of what's been allocated, so we're talking about about 110,000 places for the visas are going to my area, which is the skilled stream, but they don't necessarily always get filled every year. Nick, is that probably the same case for the family visas, what you do as well? Oh, I think that most of the family places do get filled because there's a lot less places. So overall, in True, this, yes. Yeah, in the next financial year. I'm greedy over here on the skilled visas, of course. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's around about 50,000 overall for family visas. And partner visas do make up the majority of that. Probably the biggest change we've seen is that the partner visa places have dramatically been reduced. So in most financial years, there's around about 40,000 places allocated to partner visas. But during the pandemic, that increased to closer to 70,000. But what we're seeing here is it's going back to what it was before. So 40, 40, around about 40,000 places for partner visas will be allocated in the 22-23 financial year. So 10,000 of those places from last year were reallocated to the skilled visa categories. And I expect that that is probably going to affect the processing times. So in the last probably year and a half, I've been advising clients that a partner visa is probably going to be processed within six to 12 months, I'm starting to sort of change that to more like 12 to 18 months, just because of the planning levels have been significantly reduced. Moving on to parent visas, the planning levels last year was 4,500 and has been increased to 6,000. Pre-pandemic, it was more like 8,500, which was made up of contributory parent and just the standard parent visas. So 6,000 is a little bit of an increase, but probably not as much as what we would like to see. At the moment, a, a contributory parent visa is probably taking roughly six to seven years to be processed with the non-contributory parent visas taking roughly 15 to 20 years to be processed. So it would be nice if the government were to focus a little bit more effort into parent visas, but obviously parents are not generally paying taxes, so it's not really their highest priority. With child visas, it's 3,000 places, which is exactly the same, no change compared to last year. And Nick, for the average punter who doesn't understand what a contributory visa is, my, I don't work in the family visas as you do, but my, um, I guess my understanding of it is contribute a lot more money to get your visa yeah. approved a lot quicker. Did you say seven years for the contributory visa? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, look, when I when I first became a migration agent, you know, six years ago, the processing time was probably more like three or four years, which was long. Still long, but, yes, but yeah. I mean, mm. look, a, a contributory parent visa applicant, a single applicant is paying roughly fifty thousand dollars. It's a big contribution, yes. Yeah, once you factor in migration agent fees as well, which is it's only a portion of it. The actual visa application fees roughly make up forty seven thousand dollars of that. So it's it is a big investment for someone, and for that to take six to seven years, I, I feel as though there needs to be more of a focus. On, on getting these processing times down. The only way I can see that happening is if we have a change of government in the upcoming federal election. Other, other than that, I don't see it changing. And that's processing times over on the family visa side of things. I want to let people know as well, processing times with the employer-sponsored visas. 
a couple of years ago, there was a split with the occupation streams. We've now got a short-term stream, a medium to long-term stream, and a regional occupations list as well. But during the last few years with COVID, they split down to say there's now a priority skilled migration occupations list as well. This priority list has 44 occupations and far and wide, it's basically anyone who could give an injection to be able to aid in the vaccine. Now, the vaccine rollout is well and truly underway. We're no longer having to to book in and queue up and stuff like that. It's very accessible. What's happened though, those 44 occupations, yes, there's a trickle on there of some construction industry and engineering sectors and stuff like that. But as I said, far and wide, it's people who can give injections. So nurses, general practitioners, pharmacists, people like that. This priority occupations list has meant that there's this extra factor of people that get prioritized. Everyone else slips further down. So as of today, we're currently in April. The process in times for a short-term stream occupation for the 482 visa. So the most popular employer-sponsored visa And this is, let's say, for the creative sector. So we're talking customer service managers, um, public relations, advertising specialists, stuff like that. All those occupations on the short-term stream, they're facing close to 15 months processing time at the moment. So that's happened because other people can be favoured with up to, you know, priority processing. I'm still finding about a month processing times at the moment, but having these certain occupations it knocks everyone further down the list. And over on the 407 training visa, during the global pandemic, there was extremely minimal movement in these applications getting processed, which is fair enough because they're very low tier priority. These are people with at least 12 months of experience, but they're not too qualified with their experience. So they've got a little bit of experience, get some training and experience in Australia to be able to go through further from there. The only ones that got processed are my applicants during the global pandemic sort of lockdown with the border closure were in the medical sector. So there's, yeah, lots of delays and I'm finding it's really to do with the occupations who can go through quicker than others. But with these introductions of benefits of processing times for sums, it knocks down hundreds of other occupations further down the list as well. So, Nick, I offer consultations for free for initial 15 minutes to go through all of these sorts of aspects if people need clarification. I believe you offer free consultations as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just visit handsomemigration.com.au and click the free consultation button and, and take it from there. Nick's is in the top corner. And for myself, it's worldlymigration.com. And my book of consultation button is the opposite corner at the bottom. Well, thanks for joining us on the Journey to Oz podcast today. We're going to do these interim sort of migration update episodes whenever we've got something important to talk about that we believe will spark some interest for people. Until then, we'll also be doing the monthly episode with our clients. And the next episode, we're going to be talking with Reva from South Africa. She runs a wonderful business now in Australia, and she was quite well-traveled around the world before settling with Australia. We look forward to sharing her story with you. The Journey to Oz podcast is produced by Nick Hansen from Hansen Migration, Migration Agent Registration Number 1679147, and Evan Bishop from Worldly Migration, Migration Agent Registration Number 1679414. Any information discussed in this podcast is made available for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional advice. We do not make any guarantee or accept any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of any of the information discussed. 
you should obtain advice from a registered migration agent or an immigration lawyer before acting on any of the content discussed in this podcast. You can find a list of registered migration agents by visiting mara.gov.au. The information contained within this podcast may not be reproduced without our prior written consent. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of land throughout Australia and pay respects to their elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders today. Thank you for listening.